This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Coming up, Dan Jones, who's been pounding the pavement for many years as CEO of Campbell & Pound, real estate appraisers. Dan's got a wealth of info with regard to the state of our real estate market, and I look forward to speaking with Dan about how his essential service is playing into this COVID market. But first, several items of interest to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Among the hardest-hit sectors of this pandemic... Nonprofit organizations, everything from social service agencies to environmental organizations to your kids' little league baseball. A report out this week suggests 74% of nonprofits have experienced a decrease in funding, while 52% are seeing an increase in demand for their services. Most at risk are those most vulnerable who require the assistance of nonprofits, and according to this report, the only solution to leaving the situation is money. The province has extended the state of emergency for another couple of weeks and is expected to continue for the foreseeable future. Premier Horgan said earlier this week we should avoid non-essential travel over the long weekend, and that includes recreational boaters. If big boats, I mean really big boats, are your thing, cruise ships are not welcome this summer. B.C. health officials say cruise ships will be allowed to stop for refueling, but passengers will not be allowed to disembark. Guidelines for the reopening, a host of businesses and medical services are being finalized with WorkSafe BC and are expected to be announced early next week. We can tell you that dental offices expected to reopen will not. One of the issues is the procurement of protective equipment. I mentioned last hour this country will require more than 400 million masks over the next 12 months as the reopening of the country will mean more people in your personal space. The Bay will be reopening its stores in BC on Tuesday but with reduced hours and some very strict protocols. The Bay will open noon to five every day except Tuesday when they'll open at 11 a.m. for seniors, frontline workers, and people with disabilities. Other clothing retailers like Hold Renfrew and Aritzia have either reopened or in the process of reopening next week. And if you haven't heard, family-owned Army-Navy is closing its five stores permanently after 101 years in biz. It was the oldest retailer in Gastown. The very valuable real estate will likely be sold off by Army-Navy's family matriarch, Jackie Cohen. So what is the state of our real estate market? We've got a different perspective coming up when we're joined by Dan Jones, CEO of real estate appraisers Campbell & Pound. Dan has probably looked at more real estate than any other 10 people combined. And his business is not only based on putting a value on a property, but a lot more. Along with Dan Jones, the president of Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers, campbell Dash pound.com. I mentioned, uh, Dan, at the top of the hour, uh, some of the highlights on Vancouver Consumer, that Jackie Cohen is wrapping up her Army-Navy retail operations because the real dough is in the real estate. And I can't think of a person who has more experience in the real estate appraisal game uh, than uh, you, Dan. Um, Would you like to get your hands on that real estate? Yeah, that's uh, it, it's it's actually a very fine piece of real estate. It's, uh, it's uh, part of the uh, Vancouver's history. It goes back a long ways. Well, uh, you uh, and your company go back a long ways. Not the 101 years of Army and Navy, but uh, decades. Uh, give us a little insight 
into the history of Campbell and Pound and sure. uh, let, then bring us right up to 2020. Well, we're not that far back, actually. The, the company's been in Vancouver. Um, it was over on Burrard and Broadway for... Uh, since 1961 until about 1986, and then 1986, uh, the headquarters was moved out to uh, the city of Richmond. But before that time, um, it was incorporated in uh, 81 years ago in 1939. So we've we've been around a long time. We've got a long history in Vancouver, and uh, a lot of folks uh, have known the company for a long time. Well, you uh, you're an essential service. How, how does that work that a real estate appraisal company, Campbell and Pound, would be deemed essential? Well, we're, you know, we're, um, we're not named as essential per se, but we are um, a supply chain to the banks and the financial community. Um, and in this world of COVID, when um, a lot of folks are depending highly on, on their bankers uh, to work with their bankers as partners, uh, you know, both for mortgages, loans, um, home equity, uh, lines of credit, those types of things. Um, it's all very important, and um, one of the one of the essential services for the banks in order to make those things all happen and go smoothly is they do need to order um, evaluation or an appraisal on the property to make sure that uh, um, see what kind of value there is there and what the assets are worth. Well, Dan, are you are you able to get your folks or you personally uh, close enough, uh, or even inside these buildings with COVID? Now, what are some of the safety protocols that your appraisers are using? Yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. I mean, as you know, when we sort of go back in time, so not that long ago, but it just seemed like uh, it wasn't long ago we were not thinking this was going to be too big of a deal. It's just going to be like the flu, and of course, as we saw, it went. Uh, from week to week to uh, basically day-to-day changes and uh, the seriousness uh, of it, of course. Uh, we, back when the state of emergency was um, was declared, um, got together with um, our business associations, uh, business association of real estate appraisers uh, in Canada. We've got the Appraisal Institute of Canada. It's the governing body. And we um, we talked about what what would be safe for our appraisers, what would be safe for the general public, for customers, or or even the occupants of, of the home. Sometimes it can be tenants, sometimes it can be owners. Um, and of course, our stakeholders are are the banks uh, who require our services. So. What we ended up doing, Manny, is we decided that um, with technology today, we could utilize it to our benefit and and to the bank's benefit, too. So the appraiser is still going to visit the property, um, physically walk onto the site, take photographs and notes around the rear of the property, the side yards, the front of the property, the, the, uh, look at the proximity, the street, the street scenes, and all, all those things that are required. But instead of entering the home, the appraiser is having a conversation with the occupant of the home and asking them to send uh, email photographs of the inside of every room in the house. Um, that covers off uh, what's required for the appraisal in terms of giving the appraiser the feel of what's going on. Um, some of the other tools we utilize are the uh, multiple listings that are available on some of these properties, and they've already got some photos. Although they might be dated photos, we, we can compare those to the ones that are sent from 
from the homeowner. Um, and then the final thing is uh, there's a lot of appraisers that are FaceTiming. When they're at the property, they're walking to the car and giving the uh, occupant of the house a phone call and asking them to do a, a, a physical video tour. Um, in some cases, we use Zoom. In some cases, uh, WhatsApp. I mean, there's all kinds of technology out there. But it all does the same thing. It it, it provides a video that's current. It's date-stamped. It's geotagged to the property that's being appraised. And, and that's what the banks are interested in and our, and our stakeholders. They, they, have a, they have a term of reference that that uh, requires all that stuff be put together. Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Uh, you can reach out to Dan on the website campbell-pound.com. Campbell-pound.com. You are listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Uh, Dan, uh, this state of emergency, which uh, has been extended, uh, we're moving phase to phase to phase. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we had chatted earlier in the week, and you mentioned something called a hybrid modified full appraisal. Uh, for the uninitiated uh, like myself, why don't you explain that, or did you explain it? Yeah, I actually explained that. What I explained to you was a modified appraisal. Okay. Um, to do a full appraisal in, in normal circumstances, the appraiser would uh, carry out all the the functions that I mentioned initially at the exterior, and then they would enter the home. And we don't like to call it an inspection because people will sometimes confuse that with a building inspector. Uh, we call it more of a walkthrough. Um, the appraiser's walking into the house. He or she is looking at the floor plan, how it flows as they walk through. They're taking notes of the quality um, of the improvements on the interior, the condition of the uh, improvements on the interior. Uh, they're looking at the age. They're looking uh, at the renovations, any upgrades or updates that have been done by the, the homeowner, and putting that all together, um, you know, um, to do uh, what's called a full appraisal. Uh, so all that's lacking right now uh, due to the state of emergency is we're not physically going in. We are uh, relying heavily on the photographs that are being sent back by the, the homeowner and any video that we can get the homeowner to provide us with while we're at the property. And then you can bring this evaluation or appraisal up to date once all the restrictions have been lifted. Is there a time well, limit? That's right. And that was one of the reasons that uh, it was preferred over, you know, you hear people talk about the drive-by. The drive-by really is a a document that the banks will order sometimes on a very low loan-to-value ratio because they're, they're you know, they've they've got a long way to go before there's any uh, negative impact in the marketplace. So in a full appraisal, by doing a full appraisal the way we've done it, if at a later date somebody needs an update, the bank maybe wants us to go back into the property, let's say a month from now or two months from now, we can go back in there and do an update. So the date of, a, uh, of the inspection will be um, um, at the date that we go, and um, or we can do a market update to it without going into the property. So this is something that quite often the banks will do. They'll say, you appraised the property four months ago for me. I don't need you to go back in, but I want to know if the market's made a shift. Has it shifted up or has it shifted down? Can you tell us what's going on? And, and you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll have the appraisal as of, let's say, June 15th, if that's where we were. 
but you inspected it back on March 15th. Okay, got it. Dan yeah. Jones, president of Campbell & Pound. Real estate appraiser has been in the biz a long time here in the Lower Mainland. Campbell-Pound.com. Campbell-Pound.com. Uh, Manny Bazunas is out looking at real estate. I see a house that I like. Um, I get my mortgage approved, Dan. Uh, what happens from there? Who contacts you, and do I get a copy of the report if I don't get an appraisal done on my own? Um, you get a copy uh, if you are the entity or the person that's actually ordered the appraisal, but many times what happens, Manny, is uh, John Doe and his wife will go into uh, um, see a lender or they'll see a mortgage broker, and they'll have a long conversation and a nice discussion about um, what their assets are and what their expenses are and their debt ratios and all those types of things, what their employment is like. Um, uh, all those those good things are done. And uh, I know Angela Calla is a is a good uh, friend of the show. She's uh, she's putting all of that together and and preparing it to send off to various. Uh, lenders, and um, you know, you've got the banks, the mono lenders, uh, mono line lenders. You've got the credit unions. Um, at, at a later stage in the game, they'll say we need an appraisal. It's always going to be subject to an appraisal. So, depending on how much money they are borrowing, um, they will send an appraisal out, and it'll be ordered by the entity, either the lender or or the broker or the lender. Um, uh, when I say lender, the person that's actually uh, um, the borrowers are meeting in person. Uh, when we do that, we, um, we, we carry out the appraisal on their behalf. Now, you as the borrower are actually not our client. The client is actually the party who's ordered uh, the service. So in this case, it might be the Bank of Nova Scotia, it might be the Royal Bank, whoever it may be. Um, and we will carry out that uh, that service on their behalf. If you need a copy of it, we will get permission from the lender. If they say it's okay for you to have a copy of it, it will be redacted. There'll be some redactions that take place, and the reason we do that is because there is a, a, a term of reference for every appraisal that is completely different for each user uh, of that appraisal. So um, uh, an appraisal for litigation purposes requires Supreme Court terms of references, uh, BC Family Law terms of reference. Um, uh, an appraisal for a credit union has a different term of reference than does uh, a bank. And and if you've got the big five or six banks, they've got terms of references that are fairly similar to one another, but there are significant differences in some cases. Uh, especially when you start moving off into rural properties and hobby farm type properties and those types of things, the the, the terms of reference are very important and they change. Well, I, I guess the only reason I'm asking, uh, Dan, is because if I'm a person looking at a single detached home and I'm getting a market evaluation from a real estate agent who may or may not be familiar with the area, I'd like a second opinion, and that would come from an appraiser such as yourself. That's right. And, and you know what? A good realtor will probably nail the value just as well as, as a real estate appraiser will. I, I think the only difference you find is that uh, with a real estate appraiser, the value is independent, it's unbiased. And I don't mean anything uh, negative by that in terms of realtors. But there is, a, you know, if there's a commission riding on, 
on me listing your property, there is, uh, uh, it's hard to say that it's, it's independent or it's uh, unbiased. And, and in that case, and we work, don't get me wrong, our, our best partners in, the, in, in this industry are realtors and we depend on them uh, and they depend on us to, to make it all happen. So. Dan Jones, president of Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Uh, you can contact Dan uh, through the website, campbell-pound.com, campbell-pound.com. Uh, we are in the uh, middle of uh, tax season. There's been an extension, uh, Dan, as you're well aware, to our deadline to submit our taxes. Uh, so a real estate appraiser can play an important part when it comes to Accounting, accountants, capital gains, what's my business property worth, uh, on and on and on. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, from, from an accounting point of view, when, when businesses or commercial entities are required to do year-end uh, accounting, they quite often need to value their assets, and, and the accountant needs to know how much those assets are worth. And quite often, accountants will um, commission our, our services to to find out um, what what the assets of a particular company uh, or businesses are worth. And the same thing with uh, personal property with folks. They, uh, they quite often have a pretty good handle on things residentially because they've got a lot of tools uh, from realtors they might know from uh, real estate weeklies and the Internet. Uh, there's so many uh, available resources for them to figure it out. Um, the other... Uh, uh, where taxation that comes to mind in our business is something called the capital gains tax. And that is when somebody uh, or an entity disposes of a piece of property that is not their principal residence. And uh, the government would like to see uh, 50%, um, a 50% capital gain tax applied to that. So, First, in some cases, we've got properties that have never turned over or have never uh, transferred ownership since um, for a long, long time. It may have been in the family going back to the 60s, for example. It wasn't until December 1971 that capital gains tax came in. So if somebody sells a property that uh, turned over before that time, we would have to value that property as of December 31st, 1971. And the most common one is when Mr. and Mrs. Smith say to themselves, I'm going to move out of my our family home, and we're going to, going to move into a condo now. We're going to downsize, but we don't want to sell our home. So they move out of the house, and they start to rent it out. And uh, maybe two or three years down the road, they decide that uh, they're going to sell that property. So then when they sell the property, they're very surprised sometimes to find out there's a capital capital gains tax that's going to be due from the time that they moved out of the property until they actually sold the property, how much did that property appreciate in value? And that is going to be taxable at 50%. So it's important for um, folks to know that. It's a good idea to get an appraisal the day that they moved out of the property so they have a documentation and they have, have knowledge of what it was worth at that date. Uh, we do what's called a retrospective valuation, and that's done... Um, usually after the fact. So it might be that when they sold it, they went to their accountant, they found out that they have to get this valuation. We can do it as if it was three years ago, and we'll be utilizing sales and listings and information um, as if the market was happening at that time. You know, just to be clear, uh, Dan, the capital gains tax is applied to non-primary 
residence. That's correct. Yeah. Non-principal. Yep. Now, um, let's get to uh, what the pandemic has done to valuations. Uh, we've seen the boarded up uh, strip malls and storefronts along Robson and virtually everywhere we go. And right. um, these valuations on some of these commercial properties uh, would have to have dropped. Even in the short term, does that affect uh, the appraisal? Um, it only affects the appraisal if if we have evidence to 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 justify it. And you know, we've all got this what we call a gut feeling. Like we know that a lot of people have uh, lost their their jobs. That um, the economy has taken a hit. That um, interest rates are at an all-time low. Um, we're going to see an awful lot of landlords that are not going to be able to receive rent because their tenants have either not been able to come up with revenue in order to produce it, and everybody's been working together to to do what they can to, to stop that. But you know, when it's all said and done, the question will be, um, what is the vacancy rate? On, on retail property going to be like in Vancouver, on Robson Street, you know, South Granville, those types of areas, and, and, and all the other strip areas, you know, from, from Fraser Street to Victoria Drive, and et cetera. We're going to see, we think, um, a larger, larger amount of buildings that are going to be sitting vacant. And there's going to be very low demand to fill those vacant spaces. And, you know, as we've seen through the, the pandemic, I mean, Online is, people are depending on online more and more and more. And it's not like the pandemic was the start of it. It was already happening. And we were seeing uh, creeping vacancy rates going up. And that has to start to affect um, how much rent a landlord will be able to command in a particular uh, classification of property or even location as we move forward. So we're expecting to see rentals being softer, less demand for retail space, higher vacancy rates, and then what we call the capitalization rates or rates of return are going to be uh, affected somewhat. Uh, the higher, you know, a capitalization rate is a combination of a risk and it's a combination of the interest rates. But the interest rates being so low, that will keep them somewhat down. But we do we do suspect there's going to be a change in cap rates in all the various, whether it's industrial, whether it's retail, or, you know, whether it's apartment block multifamily. And we we just don't know. Right now, we're, we've still got enough information, enough data from the first quarter of the year and part of the second quarter. It's not as down and out as people think it is. But, you know, I mean, again, that gut feeling, what's it going to be like six months from now? We don't know. And as we move forward, we'll know more. As each month goes by, we'll, we'll know more. <laughs> and the data will start to, to tell us where we're going. Well, Dan, is, a, is, a, is an appraisal uh, like a will? It should be updated every couple of years? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's important. It depends on what the purpose of the appraisal was for. If it was a one-time uh, service that was needed for a particular, maybe maybe a husband and wife, did a separation agreement, and there was there was a division of assets that took place at a certain date. Um, that would be probably wouldn't be a need for um, for an update on that. But if if people were borrowing money um, and they wanted to update their lines of credit because they're sitting at home during this COVID crisis, 
and they're saying, you know what, we're not, we haven't got as much money coming in. Maybe we want to to borrow some more money. We're going to contact our mortgage broker, or we're going to call our lender at the local bank, and. When we do that, we did have an appraisal done six months ago or maybe a year ago. You may want to give your local appraisal company a call, and there might be some savings there in the fees because some of the work has already been done, and all we're doing is looking for more data to to um, to, to bring things up to date for them. Yeah, understood. Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Campbell-Pound.com, Campbell-Pound.com. Well, Dan, you unscrewed the lid uh, a little bit when you talked about uh, separating spouses. Uh, Too often um, we hear of uh, War of the Roses over the value of a property uh, when a divorce or separation ultimately ends a marriage. Uh, How does a home appraisal play into all of that nastiness? Well, it's it's something that uh, times have changed a little bit. I mean, when I first got into this business, it was always a protocol that the husband would order an appraisal and um, the wife would order an appraisal. And quite often, um, if the numbers were close enough, they would they would do a division down the middle and then try to make a settlement happen that way. Um, and And as you know, sometimes we get an appraisal, and I'm not a lawyer, but... Um, sometimes there are easy solutions for settlement, and other times um, these things can drag out for years, if not months, if not years. And what started happening about uh, seven years ago to ten years ago is uh, is the BC Family Law Act and the Supreme Court rules changed, and um, it made appraisers advocates for the court, so that. We, we're no longer advocating for one side or the other. We're trying to uh, advocate neutral right down the middle for the court. And what happens many times now is um, a litigator will call us, a lawyer will say, uh, we'd like to uh, em- employ you and commission your services for, to do appraisal. And uh, on the same email chain will be the other side's counsel. So there will be two law firms. And um, they have decided uh, behind closed doors that Campbell and Palm will be the one that will be uh, doing the doing the work. So we'll carry out and uh, send our quotes directly to everybody all at once. And then at the end of the day, when the appraisal's completed, everything is sent at the same time so that one side doesn't uh, receive the numbers in advance of the other. And the same thing with the fees. The fees are usually split 50-50 down the middle. Well, it actually saves one fee, doesn't it? Well, well, that's that's very true. It it does. But it, and it's um, and I think I think it's fair that way too. That uh, you, you don't have somebody saying, "Well, how did you know about the value of our property before the other side knew?" It's all done simultaneously, and it's it's very fair. And uh, we uh, we have a. Uh, term of reference when we do those types of reports they're very detailed they're very in-depth as compared to so let's say a valuation for a bank and quite often we'll have somebody bring an appraisal from the bank and say oh can we use this for litigation and we'll say well we'd like to but we can't you know because we've got various terms of references and and areas that we have to cover um, because it is a litigation appraisal and for Supreme Court rules, and, and so that if it goes in as, as an exhibit to the court, we have to make sure that it passes those grades. 
Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, Campbell-Pound.com, Campbell-Pound.com. It's good to know that uh, family and divorce lawyers can work together and get one appraisal, and that fee is split down the middle. That's what I meant by saving a fee for a second appraiser to do the job. Campbell-Pound.com is the place you want to go if that, in fact, is... Uh, in your life right now. Uh, Dan Jones, happy to help you out with that. Uh, one of the big things in our minute or so that we've got left, uh, Dan, uh, strata councils, and you can prepare a pretty good appraisal in terms of what strata councils can pass on to its members. Uh, this has been in the news lately because there been so many fights among strata councils on collecting money and rents uh, not coming, um, and, you know, some pretty big expenditures in, in some uh, condominium facilities. I mean, it's it's good to get a handle on what its members are faced with down the road. My mother just got a bill from her strata for 19000 for upcoming expenses, and that, that shook us a little bit. Right. Well, what, what strata corporations are faced with is is um, having to vote annually on whether or not the, the strata corporation should receive what's called a depreciation report. Depreciation reports are another word for uh, reserve fund plans. So reserve fund plans are mandatory in, for example, in, in Ontario, in British Columbia, they are, um, they're not mandatory. Uh, if 75% of the strata, um, of the occupants of the strata, the votes in the strata, um, vote to, to delay this, the depreciation report, they can go ahead and do that. Uh, but there are something in it in around 27,000 stratas in British Columbia. And uh, I'm not sure how many uh, have them. Uh, Tony Giovante would be the fellow to talk to on that. But quite frankly, they are, what we do is we do uh, a financial forecast combined with a uh, building condition report. Um, what, what items uh, in the strata corporation are deteriorating and need replacement? Maybe they're spalling and down in the underground parkade. Maybe the fencing needs replacement. Uh, we've got an elevator that's getting near its uh, end of its economic life. It needs to be replaced. How much is that all going to cost? So they're basically a 30-year plan looking forward. And they can uh, the, the reserve fund planner, like our company, will look at it and say, well, you can do it three ways. You can do a, a special levy per owner. You can do uh, a huge increase in your uh, your strata fee per month, or you can do a, a hybrid combination of the two, which is generally and probably the most common thing that takes place. Well, Dan, we got so much more to cover in terms of the real estate landscape, so we're going to have to have you back at some future date. Dan Jones, president of Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Reach out to Dan through the website campbell-pound.com. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Manny. I'm Manny Bazunas. Time again for Ask Andrew, our executive producer here at Vancouver Consumer, Andrew Ferreira, Slow Streets. Uh, I think that, you know, before I get into even explaining this, I think that Slow Streets should have existed the moment that Vancouver voted having a freeway not running through downtown. We should have said, okay, no freeway. We're going to close, you know, 40% of the streets in downtown to the majority of car traffic. We're going to have transit only, expanded sidewalks. Uh, you know, expanded bike lanes, patios that spill out onto the streets, storefronts where you can set up shop in front. And that's what we're finally going to be maybe getting as a result of COVID-19. So earlier this week, the city of Vancouver, uh, they presented a, a plan for 
quote unquote slow streets. Uh, so what they would do is in the first stage of this, they would just be erecting temporary traffic barriers and effectively doubling the width of the sidewalk. So it would be easier for people, you know, primarily to social distance. It'd be easier for you to, you know, if you want to get a coffee with a friend, you can do that and you can both be sitting in front of the cafe you want. But now that the sidewalk extends, you know, a lane into traffic, you've got plenty of space and room uh, to balance yourself and everyone else around you. Um, they're also looking to target spaces that are next to parks, which is a wonderful idea. Use that park space, incorporate it with the business area that's right there. It seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, and this is only stage one. Uh, they're going to be in the latter half of the summer towards September. They're going to be monitoring and seeing what people think about the slow spaces. Uh, they're going to look at installing uh, traffic calming uh uh, measures at different locations around uh, downtown and other areas. I think they mentioned specifically uh, downtown in the Broadway corridor. Uh, and the third stage, which will be next year, uh, will be talking and looking about how walking, cycling, you know, that kind of commuting has changed these, how it's informed, uh, how it's sorry, affected businesses has been a net positive, a net negative. And possibly, how are we going to use what we've learned doing this uh, to plan future new greenways uh, you know, public areas and neighborhood traffic uh, calming areas. And like I said before, I think that something like this should have existed 30 years ago. And I think that this should be permanent because the moment you say, okay, we're going to severely cut back on the car traffic, but we're going to open up the streets so that you, you have a restaurant or a bar, your patio can now extend onto the road. And we're going to make it so that it's this nice, visible, gigantic open looking place we can set up bike lanes you can have people walking their dogs just walking around jogging and the only and if you want to get in there we'll have a, we'll have one lane of traffic for buses well we've already done it on granville for for years uh and you know nobody nobody seemed to worry about that it seemed to work out pretty well exactly it becomes a, a, a congregation space yeah. and i i personally believe that that robson could benefit immensely from this um, Robson Street, you know, is not exactly the healthiest high shopping street in Vancouver, not like it used to be. Um, and this pandemic has not helped at all. There's a number of, 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 sh of shops that are reopening coming up this week, right? Uh, Sport Check is planning on opening soon. Uh, the Bay is opening up its stores soon. There's a number of, of shops along Robson that are going to be opening up in the next week or two. So I think if we can pivot away from this reliance on having a personal vehicle to do shopping downtown, why would you need to do it? There is plenty of transit that's easily there. If you live in the area, you just walk in your five minutes from a shopping district. So I think this is uh, hopefully the beginning of something that could be really good for the city and everyone in it. Well, if you look at the fine print in the municipalities when they get together, in the fine print, the finest of print, uh, their goal is to get people away from their automobiles. It's to get them riding transit, uh, cycling, or walking. The war on the car continues, and I'm suggesting it's probably not a bad idea in some of these commercial areas. A lot will depend, of course, on how the business owners feel about it. Andrew Ferreira, executive producer of Vancouver Consumer, Ask Andrew. You're listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Back in a moment. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.